Hi, you're listening to the Sports Tourism on Air podcast, where I, Vadim Ilchuk, will reveal, dear listeners, the incredible world of sports from the touristic perspective to you, so the sport tourism industry stakeholders could be sure that with this podcast they will always be on trend. This podcast is produced by Endeka.net Sport Company, which is an international travel organizer of sports events with more than 10 years of experience. And here I will talk with different worldwide experts for whom the sport and the sports travel industry is a passion of life. Today we will talk about Manchester, the neighborhood of citizens and devils. What helped Manchester become one of the biggest sports centers in the world? What is the main story of the rivalry between Manchester United and Manchester City? What problems are they facing right now? And what can we expect from them in the second half of the season? Michael Plant, a sports journalist for Manchester World, is our guest, who will help us to find the answers to these questions. Firstly, let's find out how Manchester, a city that is not the country's capital, managed to become the epicenter of world football. Let's refer to the history. 18th-19th centuries, the time of the Industrial Revolution, and Manchester becomes one of the leading centers of this era in England. The city was famous for its cotton production, encouraging many people to move there. By 1990, the total population of Manchester was 1 million, making it one of the largest in Europe. As football was a working-class sport, Manchester turned into an ideal place for football clubs to emerge. No wonder that in 1878 a club named Newton Heat appeared, later known as Manchester United, and in 1880 their arch-rivals Manchester City, then known as West Gordon St. Mark's. The teams played football and demonstrated their game to the whole of England. But how did they become famous worldwide? Let's get the answer from Michael. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously the, the Manchester United have become one of the most successful clubs in English football over the last, well, number of decades, really. Um, they obviously, in the 19 even 50s and 60s uh, taste the success and I think that as a result as football was becoming more globalized I suppose the United were, were amongst the, the, the biggest teams the top teams then and, and attracted a, a, a worldwide fan base really and I think that obviously while their fortunes dropped a little bit in the 70s and 80s the the Sir Alex Ferguson becoming manager and the successful team he created in, in the, the 1990s and the, the early 2000s only helped raise the profile of Manchester United as a football club. Um, and I think this was in a, certainly in an era, you know, when the internet was starting and um, we were starting to see, you know, more, more kind of globalisation just across the world. And, and it was easier to, to watch football matches on TV. So I think Manchester United really managed to capture the imagination, I suppose, in a certain sense of, of kind of a worldwide football audience, it, it obviously helps that English football is is certainly one of the most entertaining leagues in the in the world and, and has has always had a really high level performance and, and you you married out the top team in that league. They were obviously going to be very well supported um on such a global scale. And then in the last 10 years we we've seen Manchester City become 
I suppose in many senses, one of the best teams in the world. I certainly think since Pep Guardiola has taken over, they have become probably, the, by and large, the best side in the world in that period. And, and they've had some fantastic players and, and um, had some unbelievable success and, and play a fantastic brand of football, which I think has only helped um, kind of increase the them, I suppose, to, to the world and, and, and to attract bigger worldwide audience. So, you know, I'm very fortunate in, in that I cover both clubs and, and I always think of it in my eyes that I probably have the biggest football club in England and maybe the world, maybe, and I probably have the best club in England and maybe the world, maybe, you know, right on my doorstep. So it's, it's in that regard, it, it really is a, a, a fantastic. Globalization, the development of football as a business and the good results of the teams have helped Manchester become a great football city and look at the confrontation between teams in a completely different way. The Manchester Derby is one of the most popular matches in England. This is not surprising, because the teams want to decide who is the king not only of Manchester, but also of the entire England. The teams met for the first time in 1881. Back then, under the old name of Newton Heat, Manchester United won 3-0. After that, the teams played 183 matches. Manchester City won 55 matches, Manchester United won 76 times, and in 53 games the teams could not decide the winner of the confrontation. Every time it was an unparalleled spectacle. What helps to constantly maintain the degree of tension during the match between these two teams? Yeah, I mean, the fact that obviously they are very close to each other geographically just automatically breeds a footballing rivalry as there are many cities across England and I suppose the UK that, that are like that but they've had plenty of run-ins over the years I mean famously Manchester City relegated Manchester United in I'm struggling to remember the year off the top of my head but the early 1970s um, I think um, and and you know it's it's a rivalry that that's grown and bred from that. I mean, I'm a kind of a football journalist who focuses a bit more on the here and now and, and in the history. Obviously, I do know, but but um, you know, at the same time, I'm kind of not a football historian, let's say. But they, but certainly the, you know, United success in the nineties at a period and a time where City were doing so badly has only increased the rivalry. And for instance, I mentioned there that. In, the, in 1989, Manchester City were playing in the third tier of English football. Well, that was the, the year that Manchester United were champions of Europe and won the treble and were the, you know, the best team in, in Europe, if not the world. And in the meantime, you know, Manchester City weren't even in the top, I don't know, 60, 50, 60 clubs in England at the time. So, well, probably, yeah, 50. Um, uh, you know, that, that shows you kind of the, the, the disparity in the clubs. United continued that success into the 2000s, even in and yeah, kind of the early 2000s, and then Manchester City since they were bought over in 2008. And I mean, there, there was the very famous, there are very famous significant moments in that rivalry in more modern time, and the rivalry has, of course, changed massively in more recent times. Sir Alex Ferguson famously called Manchester City the, the noisy neighbours, and we have things like Carlos Tevez moving from Manchester United to Manchester City. You have famous games, for instance, even, you know, they played in the, the 
the FA Cup semi-final in, I think it was 2010, and that was a, a game that, that, you know, they um, there was lots of aggro and, and confrontation amongst the players. You have the famous game where in 2011, I think, where Manchester City went and, and won 6-1 at Old Trafford, and that was a real sense of, you know, we are we are really here to compete with you and uh, right here now for major honours and, and major silverware. Of course, that season ends with, with Manchester City winning the title on almost the last kick of the season through Sergio Aguero. You know, the rivalry has certainly changed in, in the last 15 years now that these are two clubs who I suppose can compete near the top. But particularly in the last five years, Manchester City have gone on to become probably the best side in the world, whereas Manchester United have really fallen away and you know, can't compete for the Premier League title at the moment. Finished sixth last season, as an example, um, haven't won a trophy in the last five years. So from Manchester City initially being very jealous of Manchester United, I think it's almost reversed a little bit. And Manchester United look enviously at, at the, the project of Manchester City and and certainly how much their owners are willing to back the club, whereas, for instance, Manchester United's our fans are so angry at the Glazers' ownership of the club and, and how they are running the club. And listen, I, I don't want to get into to the aspect of, of Manchester City's owners and, and the human rights issues. Um, but certainly, you know, if you look at it purely in a football perspective, the owners have allowed Manchester City to be a fantastic football club, um, which I think United are certainly envious of right now. Now, let's focus more on the teams. And first of all, let's focus on the Red Devils mainly Manchester United. The nickname of Red Devils has its history. In 1934, the Manchester rugby team dominates the tournament in France, prompting French journalists to call the team the Red Devils, or Le Diable Rouge. In the future, it motivates the coach of Manchester United, Sir Matt Busby, to change the team's image. Because before that, the team had a nickname Busby Babes, which, let's agree, does not provoke fear among rivals. And the team justified the nickname 100%. One of England's most successful teams, one of the most popular in the world, they have won 66 titles on the national and international levels, becoming the first English team to win the European Cup in 1968. The most fruitful period of the club falls on the time of the legendary coach Sir Alex Ferguson, who for 26 years with Manchester United won 38 trophies, including 13 Premier League titles, 5 FA Cups and 2 Champions League titles. And after Sir Alex left, the team experienced a decline in the results and performance. The team is currently going through a rebuilding period. The new coach is trying to construct his system of play and communication within the club, which takes time. Of course, because of this, the team's game may seem unstable. And the question arises, why people should keep watching the Manchester United games when they appear to be in such a fragile state? Yeah, I, I think anytime, if you get the opportunity to attend a game at Old Trafford or a Manchester United game, you should go purely because you, you you know for some people it would be a once in a lifetime opportunity to see arguably the biggest football club in the world um certainly one of the biggest football clubs in the world old trafford is a, is 
Um, certainly lagging behind the more modern stadiums at the moment, but it still is a, a fantastic experience to go to. I actually, a couple of years ago, brought my, my granddad uh, to a game at Old Trafford. Um, he hasn't been for, I don't know how long, uh, 30, 40 years maybe. And he he was gobsmacked by, by the stadium and thought it was absolutely incredible. The, the fans are always, if you can go to a game where, you know, the, the fans can really get behind United at times. There, there are some games where it's a bit... Um, Flat, um, but there, there's a there's a corner in in Stratford End of really vocal Manchester United fans. The away fans always enjoy a, a trip to Manchester United and, all, and are always very very vocal as well. Um, so it's it's a it's still a fantastic place to go to. The atmosphere and the build up um, around the ground is is something that if you ever get the opportunity to go, I would thoroughly recommend because it's it's still one of the most iconic football stadiums in the world, in my opinion. Now, let's see how their neighbors are doing. Citizens got their nickname because of their name Manchester City. Citizens, the team, is also one of the most successful teams in England. They obtained 29 trophies throughout its long history. When it comes to one of the best periods in the team's history, we must point to the 1960s and early 1970s, winning the league title, FA Cup, League Cup and European Cup Winners' Cup under the management of John Mercer and Malcolm Ellison. Later, the club suffered a decline. It did not have the opportunity to compete with its famous neighbor. However, in the 21st century, the things have changed dramatically. In 2008, the club received a huge investment when Sheikh Mansour bought it through the Abu Dhabi United Group. The club began to spend vast amounts of money on football and buy stars who became legions of the club. David Silva, Kun Aguero, Yaya Toure, Vicente Company. All these people contributed significantly to the development of Manchester City as a top club. But the main event that left Manchester City in the list of the world's best teams was the arrival of Pep Guardiola as a manager. Having joined the team in 2016, he has already won 10 titles. To calculate, this is almost 35% of all club trophies. Also, the team continually plays in the semi-finals and finals of the Champions League and is always the main favorite of this tournament. Currently, the team is showing unparalleled results. Their transfer of striker Erling Haaland has changed the perception of football worldwide. The Norwegian player scores two or three goals in almost every match. And the team is once again the leading contender for all club trophies. And here a whole different question arises. As spectators, we love football for the unpredictability of the outcome, when you don't know which team will win. Talking of Manchester City, what pushes football fans towards the matches of a team with almost 100% confidence in its victory? Well, I mean, you are right in a sense. If you go to a Manchester City game, nine times out of ten, you're going to see Manchester City win and you're going to see Erling Haaland score a goal. But even that in itself is something to, you know, if you're a football fan, to almost tick off your bucket list to say you've seen Erling Haaland, you've seen um, Kevin De Bruyne, you've seen, I don't know, Jack Grealish, Phil Foden... Uh, Joe Cancelo, some of these absolutely fantastic players individually that they are, yeah, just some unbelievable footballers. And I mean, collectively as a group, 
I very often go to Manchester City games and I just sit back and say, wow, some of the things I see, what they do on the ball um, in terms of their movement, in terms of how they create chances, how quickly they move the ball in possession, but also out of possession when, when they lose the ball, that how quickly they win it back. You will struggle to see ever, in my eyes, many more well-coached teams, well-drilled teams who play such a high-energy, high-tempo um, it's it's it actually it's incredible to watch really sometimes the, the, the levels that they can offer at that Manchester City and then you know to see a Pep Guardiola team probably maybe the best manager in the history of football is is you know something to also tick off your bucket list and uh, you, you certainly while you might get to the final 20 minutes and the results wrapped up what you've seen in that in that first hour or however long of a match it, you'll be you'll be thoroughly gobsmacked at times um, by how well the play Twenty twenty two is unique to the football community. The twenty twenty two World Cup will be taking place from November until December. The fact is that the main tournament in the world of football will be held in Qatar. The Middle East is a new location that has announced its readiness to open the doors for major football events. Of course, the World Cup even in the country of the new world will be able to bring even more people and money into the industry, which can be spent on the development of football on a national scale and the training of top-class players. However, the question pops up here regarding the readiness of teams and players. First of all, in physical term. While the World Cup used to be held after the end of the season, in the summer, which allowed the players to rest before and after the tournament, now the sports event is supposed to occur in the middle of the season. That means that players play their club games, train with the national team for a week, go to the World Cup and then need to be instantly ready to get back on the field in their club jersey and play for the clubs at national and international levels. On the one hand, it can be said that this will keep the players in a good shape all the time. On the other hand, such non-standard season can significantly affect the injuries of players who might be unprepared to such an intense regime. So this begs the question, what can we expect from the teams in the second half of the season, when they return from the World Cup? and what matchups are also worth looking out for in the future. Well, I mean, the, the meetings between United and City and, and the biggest clubs in England, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, they're the games always to look out for. Um, and, and there tends to be almost one a week in the Premier League. I think they, they try and space them out a little bit. The, the, the most weeks tend to have a meeting between those those clubs. Um, I think in the second half of the season, I mean, you, you did say it there, it's very difficult to predict because players can come back injured. They can come back low in confidence. They could have won the World Cup. They could be fantastic. They, they could be tired. They could be fatigued. It, it's impossible to say, really. But it's not, I think City will win the title and I think it'll be pretty comfortable. I can't see Arsenal or Liverpool getting close to them in terms of mounting a real challenge. I think they'll win that one actually at relative ease. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if they can win a cup um, or how many cups I suppose I think they can win. Um, and whether, where you know, the thing about Manchester City is as fantastic as they are, they don't have a, a massively huge squad. So maybe that is what could ultimately be their Achilles heel in the cup competitions, whether they, they just don't simply have a, enough players really to, to, to go all the way in all these competitions. 
Um, that's a possibility. I mean, in terms of United, I think they're a club that are capable of winning the cup. I think they they got to fancy the chances in the Europa League. I think that they should also look at the FA Cup and League Cup and, and fancy the chances of, of going far in those two. I think that they will compete for a Champions League place um, with the likes of uh, Chelsea, Tottenham. Um, I don't think Newcastle will be involved in a lot of stages, but maybe Liverpool um, if they don't kind of get themselves together as well. So I think that'll be what you'll see from United is a competition for, for a Champions League space, uh, place in the latter stages of, of this season. That is football in Manchester, gripping, diverse, with intrigues and history. But we don't say goodbye to Manchester, because the next episode, Manchester, a city with a sports heart and tourist soul, will also be dedicated to it, where we will try to reveal the tourist features of this marvelous city. I hope you liked the episode. If yes, subscribe to this podcast and wait for the next episodes very soon. Find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify and other podcast platforms. Let's dig into the world of sports tourism together.